And one day, very soon, every knee is going to bow to that name. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Ecclesiastes. We're going we're gonna to focus a lot of our energy and time into Ecclesiastes chapter number 12, but I want to start in chapter number 1. I want to give you some context about this book. and It is a very um, unique book in itself, and of course, the Word of God is, is very interesting, but this book in particular is, is, is very different from that of Proverbs, although with the same human author as Solomon. With regards to this book, we find, it, we find Solomon later on in age. Uh, he's older, and uh, many people would think uh, wiser, and yet the wisdom that he's gained has somewhat made him a little bit interesting in life. You'll find in the first two verses that um, kind of what he's taken out of all his time on earth. Verse number one says, The words of the preacher, he calls himself the son of David king in Jerusalem, And then he says, vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. The word vanity in this book has used more than any other place in Scripture. 99 times the word vanity is used in the Bible altogether. 37 of the 99 times it's found in the book of Ecclesiastes. Just in short, kind of if I were to give Ecclesiastes a title and you find the context of it, you'd find that Ecclesiastes is just talking about the meaningless of that which is physical and temporal. The meaninglessness of that which is physical or temporal. So now I'd like to preach a message entitled, What is it worth? What is it worth? We chased after so many things that are just so temporal, so meaningless in life. We go after these things, and yet they're of no eternal value. Take your Bible to Ecclesiastes chapter number 12 now. He begins and, and starts out the context of his book by talking about all his vanity, but he finishes on a very similar note. Verse number 8 of Ecclesiastes, chapter number 12. Summarized again, Vanity of vanity, saith the preacher, all is vanity. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yea, he gave uh, good heed and, and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought out to find acceptable words, and that which was written was upright, even words of truth. Uh, the words of the wise are as goads and as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. And further, by these, my son, be admonished of making many books. There is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear God, just thank you so much for this book that describes all that is temporal as being worthless, meaningless, nothingness, if you will. God, uh, we long to have our lives mean something for eternity rather than for the temporal. God, I pray that tonight would be a helpful lesson and a helpful observance of your word into... Um, that which you long for from our lives, Lord, for eternal purposes. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Many of you, I'm sure, in this room would say that you want to make an eternal impact. I'm sure if I were to say, how many of you want to make an impact on eternity? Every single hand would go up, right? I mean, that, that's, that's, that's a pretty easy question to answer. But I would say that some people that would raise their hands to that question would not concede to what is necessary to make that impact. Our lives we've been taught and even brainwashed to a certain point this mentality. Take every opportunity, every chance that you can to make your name great. To make money. To take every opportunity that you can to achieve success in life. I mean, that's the American dream, is it not? To take every opportunity and, and gain all the money you can and, and make your name great. That's, that's the American dream. And while I'm proud to be an American, God did not call me to be one. God called me to be something greater. God called me to be his disciple making an eternal impact rather than that which is temporal. And yes, I am proud to be an American, but that mentality has even kind of pushed its way into the church. Yes, we need to do whatever we can to make our church a success. But in whose eyes? But in whose eyes? And that might, mentality might have crept into your life. And tonight, I just want to even kind of teach through this lesson, what is it worth? What is it worth? I, if I were to promise you, if I were to promise you $10 million every year of your life for the rest of your life, many of you would probably jump at that opportunity. I mean, that, that's a no-brainer, right? But if I were to ask, say, listen, I need $10 million every year for the rest of your life, and uh, the stack of money is already on the table, and it's, it's already there right in front of you, all I need is the keys to your car and the keys to your house. Turn them over now, and you can have $10 million there for the rest of your life. That'd be a no-brainer, right? I mean, sure. I mean... I don't even think like my house is worth a percentage of that, okay? So sure, you can have it. But it's really interesting that God offers so much more than $10 million. God offers an eternity of satisfaction and eternal peace, an eternity with Him, with Him. An eternity, even, even from the perspective of Christians, eternal rewards, right? I mean, when we think about that, and God says, listen, if you want to be my disciple, you're going to have to bear your cross. You're going to have to let go that which is temporal. You're going to let, have to let go some of the things that are keeping you from me. And yet, even though when comparatively they'd be like $10 million compared to your house or your car, and yet still we're holding on to the lesser. We're holding on to that which won't, will not last. And the one thing about the book of Ecclesiastes that's very clear is Solomon would call that vanity. Worthless. Meaningless. There, there's no point to it. Those things that we hold on to here on this earth, they're going to pass away. So tonight, what is it worth? What is that one thing that's holding you back from doing God's will in your life? What is it worth? What is the one thing holding you back from getting involved in ministry? What is it worth? Because I can tell you that the opposite is eternal. It's eternal. God's will and doing His will, the rewards are eternal rather than what is temporal. What is it worth? Tonight, just based out of introduction, and yes, I, I don't have any notes on the screen for you tonight. And, and uh, when it comes right down to it, I just want you to be able to follow along tonight. 
When we look at the word vanity, the Hebrew word is hebel, hebel. And when you think about it, it means meaningless or worthless. And there's some topics pursued in life that Solomon covers throughout this book that he would consider vanity, that some would consider being worthwhile. The first thing that I want to see is, and just out of introductory, not my first point, but out of introductory thought, the first thing I see is really completed works. Take a look at chapter number two. Some people, man, man, they live, they live their life to complete something. I, I want to complete this job, or I want to complete this, this thing that I'm working on. And yes, that's good and well, but living your life for that, Solomon would call vanity. Take a look at uh, Ecclesiastes, uh, Ecclesiastes, I'm sorry, chapter number two, verse number four. He says, I made me great works. I builded me houses. I planted me vineyards. I, I, I can't plant anything, so I don't, I don't relate to that. I have a black thumb rather than a green thumb. I try things, and they fail. I told you last week, I'm better at demolishing things than I am at planting things, okay? Like, I tried to build my wife something, and it turned out to be uh, firewood. Um, so that's basically what it was. I mean, uh, but when it comes right down to it, I, don't, I can't relate to building vineyards or planting vineyards. Verse number five, I made me gardens and orchards and planted trees in them of all kind of fruits. I made me pools of water to water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. It's interesting, later on, later on he says, then I looked at, verse number 11, then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought and on all the labor I had labored to do and behold, all was Vanity. I did these things to fill a slot in my life. I did these things to, to fill a, a time frame. I, I lived my life for that for several months, and I looked at it at the end, and I said, eh, it could have been better. I looked at it at the end and said, oh, it was worthless. It was a waste of time, completed works. Listen, I'm not telling you to stop a project right in the middle of it because it's vanity. I'm telling you, if you're living your life for that project, it's pointless. If it's temporal, it's pointless. Live your life for something more, something greater. Completed works are considered vanity in this, this passage. Possessions, verse number 7, take a look at here. I got me servants and maidens and had servants born in my house. Also, I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me all, also silver and gold and the particular treasures of kings and of the provinces. I got me men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of man as musical instruments and that of all sorts. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. Again, verse number 11. Then I looked on all the works my hands had wrought and in all the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, it was vanity and vexation of spirit and there was no profit under the sun. I was uh, talking to my wife before. Uh, it was very interesting that... Um, the Bible serves as a mirror, right? And it serves, and it's like, man, look, look at myself. Oof, I'm not looking like Christ right now, okay? I'm not very Christ-like in my image right now. Uh, but I believe, man, your wife can do the same thing for you, all right? And uh, not that she takes place of the Bible at all. Please don't call me a heretic, all right? But I think your wife can do something similar. And she goes, hey, you know, um, uh, is that kind of like Amazon with you? I was like, whew. Yep, pretty much. I have something that, that I bought probably three months ago that I haven't even touched. <laughs> 
And, and it was just one of those, ooh, I need that. You ever have those moments in life? Ooh, I need that. That looks great. And it's on sale. How convenient, right? Possessions. It's vanity. Vanity. It's temporal. I'm not saying it's not nice to have. I'm not saying that God can't bless you with great things. It, but what I am saying is living your life for those purposes, man, Sometimes we don't even touch them. I think of I think of kids at Christmas time, right? You go through the trouble of thinking about the best present to get them, right? And then the four or five year old rips through the packaging. And for me, I can tell you, it takes me like an hour or two just to just to wrap the package because I'm terrible at wrapping. And then all of a sudden, they look at the, the toy, take it out, and play with the box. It's like, what? Come on! <laughs> all right, it's it's stuff. It's stuff. It's vanity. Possessions, vanity. Living your life for that cause. It's vanity. Matthew chapter number 6, you don't have to turn there, but it says this, Jesus particular says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither wrath, uh, moth uh, nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there where your heart be also. You know what else Solomon covers and considers to be vanity? And this is very interesting to me. Take your Bibles to chapter number three of Ecclesiastes. Time. You know what's funny? Time's always passing. It's temporal, just like everything else. And yet, what do we do? We work to get more time off. It's kind of ironic, isn't it? You spend more time at work to get more time off. Uh, It's kind of weird. What do you do? You work out, you spend more time in the gym so that you can get more time later on in life, you know? But you're never guaranteed those minutes. You're never guaranteed those seconds. And I'm not, I'm not advocating for you to live an unhealthy life, okay? That's, that's not it at all. I know the Bible says that bodily exercise profiteth little, but yet it still profits, okay? When I think about that, though, I think about how much time do we spend thinking about the time that we're losing? A lot if you really think about it. He says, to everything there is a season and time to every purpose under the heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. If you go down through here, you'll find that Solomon is essentially saying, listen, God is, God is going to take care of the time issue. He'll take care of the things in your life. This is why Jesus says, take no thought for the morrow. In other words, don't worry. Don't be so afraid and and kind of anxious about what's going on tomorrow or the next day or what's going to happen when you retire or how you're going to manage in 10 years or 5 years. Just be faithful where you are right now. Because he says time, it's just passing away. In fact, vanity, one of the other word usages for it is breath. It's there for a second and then it's gone. Vanity. All is vanity. If we're living our life for that, if we're living our life for time with family, time with friends, uh, time when we retire, it's vanity. Number four, knowledge. This is the big one. This is why we have... uh, um, This is why we have so many different media outlets and things of that nature because people are thriving for knowledge. They're thriving to know what's happening. They might not be thriving necessarily for higher knowledge, but they want to know what's going on. This is why in chapter number 12, in our, in our text here, chapter number 12, it's interesting what Solomon says, and if you don't catch it, 
the first time. Read over it again. It's, it's very unique. Verse number 10, it's, it's not saying that knowledge is a bad thing, but when you get down to verse number 12, you catch what he's trying to say. The preacher sought it to find acceptable words, and that which was written was upright, even the words of truth. The words of the wise are as goads and as nails fastened by the masters of uh, assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. And further by these, my son, be admonished. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. Every college person says that. Much study is a weariness of the flesh, all right? I, I, I think about this, and, and if, you ca- if you caught it, you see what Solomon is saying. Is, Listen, I sought after knowledge. I went after it, and went after it, and went after it. And man, I, I read every book that I could, but when it came right down to it, I just ended up tired. It was weary. I was weary in life. Because my life was, was searching for knowledge and the New Testament would convey in 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 3. Now it's touching things. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm in the wrong spot. No, no, I'm in the right spot. Now it's touching things offered unto idols. We know that we all have knowledge. But then he says this, knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And if any man think he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. It's very interesting that, man, we can gain all the knowledge we can, and I'm an advocate for that. I'm an advocate for you searching the depths of God, searching the depths of who Christ is. I'm, I am an advocate for you doing as, as Paul says, that I may know him, right? I'm trying to know him better. I'm an advocate for that. But for just the sake of knowledge itself, it's vanity. Just for the sake of saying that you know something or you're smart or, or man, you have a degree or, or man, well, look at that person. He's Dr. So-and-so. And, and yes, that, that's ultimately my goal in life is to be a doctor. But when it comes right down to it, if that's my goal as far as uh, uh, of all eternity is to be a doctor and not for it to please Christ in some form or fashion, then it's vanity. It's vain. It's worthless. It's pointless. These things preach to me, by the way, okay? When it comes right down to it, what are the things that you're chasing after in life worth? What are they worth? But there is, there is a second part to this message. You know, Solomon in his old age, um, I, I, maybe I'm, I'm a little weird when I read the Bible, but I kind of see him as a grumpy old man. When you read through the book of Ecclesiastes, he kind of just throws out some flat statements. Uh, basically, in one chapter, I, I'm trying to remember which chapter it was, it's basically, <laughs> the context is when it rains, the ground gets wet. Duh! He just gets kind of weary in his old age. And he starts out the whole book saying, vanity of vanities, all, everything's worthless. And it's the mistakes he made in life of going after, and, and you know Solomon had many wives, Right? the mistakes of going after women and the mistakes of going after possessions. And although, yes, he had gained wisdom from God and and monetary things from God, when it came right down to it, he started to seek after those things. And so at the end of his life, he's saying, listen, here's the conclusion of the matter. If you're looking for what's important in life, verse number 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. You want something eternal? You want something that's worth it? You want something that's going to last for eternity's sake? Fear God and keep His commandments. 
What will count for eternity? Quickly tonight, very, very quickly, I promise quickly, number one, submission of my will. This is regarding fearing God. Fearing God is, is, is interesting in the Old Testament. There are several different kind of contexts for it. Fearing God can be a, a way of worship in a reverential, all-inspired way. It's saying, listen, God is holy and I revere Him. Uh, he is holy and I am respecting Him as the Most High God. That's fearing God in some contexts in Scripture. But in this context in particular, it says to be frightened into submission. Fear God. Have dread of Him is what Solomon is saying. Frightened into submission. God, I fear You and I'll submit to You. God, I'm submitting my will to You because You are God. You are the highest. The understanding of this book is all that is physical is temporal and that which is spiritual is eternal. So God, here's my will. Here's all that I am. When I started working here, it was really interesting. I, I definitely have, my relationship with Pastor Weigel has changed, and he's not here, so I can say this, okay. When I, was, uh, when I first started, um, I've told him this before, by the way. Um, when I first started here, I was so scared of that man. And I had grown up in church here. I mean, I, I knew Pastor Weigel. I, I had gone, I, did I go on a boat with him? Not until I was working here, no. But I went over his house. I mean, I helped him at his house. He dropped a rock on my foot when I was helping him one time. Do you remember that? Do you remember that? <laughs> anyway, um, I mean, Nor was there, so he could testify of that. Um, but uh, when I got here and I was under his leadership, there was a different kind of fear there. Man, whatever he said, yes, sir, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I ran to it, you know. And I'm not saying that I don't do what he says now. Okay, don't take me the wrong way. But there's, there's almost a growing relationship between us in this place. And I think that happens over longevity of time and things of that nature. But that's the idea. Fearful submission. Submission to God Almighty. I can tell you that this fearful submission, it's really kind of preached in other places. And it tends towards grace in our life. The Bible says James in James 4, 3 through 7, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not the friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lesseth the envy, but he giveth more grace? Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God gives grace. Submission tends towards grace. But also submission yields or tends towards victory. If you take a look at Romans 6, it's, it's a great chapter. I, I encourage you to, to turn there with me now, but also to, to read that later on. Romans chapter number 6 talks about the victory, I believe, in the Christian life. Because Christ is raised, we are raised with Him. It's the idea of baptism even. It's not even salvation as we believe. We don't believe that you get saved because you get baptized, but it's identification of what Christ did in your life, okay? It's a beautiful chapter of really victory for the Christian, but Romans 6, 13 through 14 says, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. That's victory, right? 
and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. That's victory based on submission. Submitting who we are to Christ. It tends towards grace, but it even tends towards victory. So first, I I see even the submission of my will, thinking, fear God. And second, I see service towards my God. Fear God and keep His commandments. And keep His commandments. I see an offering of complete obedience to God. I I saw this quote, and I, I love this. To obey God is to be truly human. He is God, we are human. It's simple, we obey God. At the beginning of time, humanity sought to become like God in disobeying Him. We remember Adam, and he was tricked into eating the fruit. But instead, they lost the one thing that made them truly human. Obedience to God. Because God is God, we are human, we obey Him. He made us for His glory. His glory is really for us to obey and to honor Him through obedience. But in trying to become like God, we even lost that peace inside of us. It's very interesting. True obedience shows trust. God has spoken in the scriptures. And disobedience to God's word comes from a sinful heart. A heart that will not trust God. Obedience, though, comes from a heart that trusts God. If God's people obey him, they find the blessings he yearns to give. True obedience shows trust in God. But number two, true obedience displays Christ. You remember Christ all throughout the Gospels? I mean, if you read the Gospels, you'll find this statement over and over again. John 4.34 says, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. What did Christ do? He did the will of God the Father. He did the will of that which sent him. If we obey, we are literally displaying Christ in our life. If we obey, we are literally putting on Christ because that was the character of Christ. And yes, I understand that God the Father, God the Son, they are equal, and yet they had different roles. God the Son is obedient to God the Father. God the Father's will was for God the Son to come die for our sins, to give His life on Calvary. And His meat was to do the will of God the Father. His, his longing was to obey God's will no matter what the cost. What if we as Christians had that same longing? Every day, every moment of the day. Now we have that longing, you know, here in Sundays. God, I want to obey your will. I want to do what you say. But when, you know, push comes to shove throughout the week, we start to tend towards the flesh. We start to tend toward that which we should have mortified. We should have put away. But our obedience really displays Jesus Christ. So, we offer complete obedience to God. We keep His commandments. Jesus, uh, 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 in Philippians chapter number 2, was found in fashion as a man, and He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Another sign of Christ's obedience. But we are opting also in service towards God to deny the temporal. Matthew 16, 24. Turn there with me if you can. Turn there with me. Matthew 16, 24. Matthew 16, 24 says this. 
Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. He says, listen, if you're trying to save that which is temporal, if you're trying to save that which is physical in your life, if you're going after those things, listen, you can't be my disciple. I'm not looking for that guy. Uh, in Sunday school this morning, I went over with the teens. I'm a couple lessons behind uh, you guys. I tried to take it slower with the teens. And we went over uh, Real Church and Discipleship, that lesson. And we talked to them about the passage in Luke 14. It says, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sister and, uh, sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And oftentimes when you read that verse, you kind of get funny looks from people. It's like, Jesus wants me to hate my family? That's weird. But if you understand scripture, this is an idiom. It's, it's, it's something that's in comparison. So in other words, if, if I love uh, Brother Shotwell over here, and I do love Brother Shotwell, my love for Jesus should be so strong that my love for Brother Shotwell should look like hate. Because it's that much stronger of a love. Does that make sense? I love Jesus so much that everything else looks like hate in my life. And that's what that verse is conveying. I'm opting to deny everything in my life because I love Jesus so much. And so Jesus in this passage says, listen, if you don't hate them, in other words, if you don't love me more than anything, when I call you to go somewhere, when I call you to do something, when I call you to go to some place where you will never see your family, if you're truly my disciple, you won't worry about what your family's going to say. Not seeing your family anymore because you love me that much. And you'll go like that. That's what Jesus is looking for. I told the teens that this morning, and I, I was thinking about that myself. And I, I was thinking, is there anything that I love so much that if God called me to any particular place, I'd say, you know what, I'm not really sure about that because I'm holding on to the temporal. By the way, again, and I don't want to be insensitive, relationships on this planet are temporal. But a relationship with Jesus Christ is eternal. It's hard to think about that when it comes to family. But that's the words of Jesus Christ. That's the objective when it comes to discipleship. I'm opting to deny the temporal. And finally tonight, I'm seeking the eternal. I'm seeking the eternal. And again, whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. In Luke 17, 33. I just want to ask you something simple tonight, and I'm done. What are you seeking tonight? And what is its worth? I love those shows on television um, that uh, they basically find old artifacts and things of that nature and they really tell you what it's worth. Old artifacts and history and, and uh, you know, even going to pawn shops and things of that nature, you see all the different values for things. and It's pretty neat. It's pretty neat to see uh, some, of the, some of the values of, of things from the, the 1800s, 1700s, and even uh, going on into the ancient world. And, and uh, it, it's, it's really unique um, to see how much they put as the worth of these things that are literally <laughs> rusting away. Literally fading away. 
I have an autograph that I treasure in my house. Um, someone gave it to me, and uh, I, I treasure it. I actually have it hidden somewhere because I don't want the light to hit on the autograph and uh, the, the actual autograph to fade away because that will happen if you leave it in the light too long. And, uh, but I treasure that thing. But I thought about the other, the other day. I was like, you know what? Eventually, this thing is just going to rot away. It's just going to rot away. It's not worth anything in eternity. I like it now, but man, if Jesus said, give that to someone else, man, God forbid if I didn't do that, all right? When it comes right down to it, what are you holding on to? And what is it really worth? What is it really worth? What are you chasing after in life? And what is it really worth? Let me con- convince you tonight to persuade you to go after that which is eternal in Jesus Christ. Let's have a word of prayer. Jesus, thank you so much for the time in your word. Bless us as we go into this time of invitation. Lord, if there's people that, that are really uh, just, just grasping on to something that is holding them back from doing really what you want in life, God, I pray that tonight would be the night where they surrender that to you. Bless us, Lord. Um, God, I pray if there's any, anyone in here that has not accepted you as their personal Savior, let tonight be that night. Lord, I, I just thank you again for shedding your blood on the cross for us, for giving us salvation so free, Lord. Uh, we love you. We praise you for all that you are. Bless this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.